Man, I've been I've been walking for hours now. Max said it would be here. He said some lonesome cabin in the end of the street. Well, where the hell is it? Thank you. Uh, I'm supposed to meet my friend at a cabin someplace. He said to go to the lonesome cabin at the end of the street, but it's, it's just all dirt. No, I know where that is. Okay, so where you need to go is the opposite way. You go about uh, further until you eventually come to a huge park. The cabin should be at the edge of it. You absolutely cannot miss it. Okay, so so just go this way. Yeah, that's right. Okay, got it. All right, thank you. Hello, hello, Mac. Are you are you here? Jesus, this place is scaring me, Mac. <laughs> you hear me? I really don't want to be here. <laughs> hey, you made it. I thought you might have gotten lost. Oh, oh, thank God, Mac. You're actually here. Yeah. I, I got lost, but some kind of woman helped me find this place. You know, all these dilapidated hell houses all have the same vague-ass directions. Last house on the left, house on the edge of the park, it's stupid. <laughs> why did you even... Why the hell did you even want me to come here? <laughs> it's, it's because it's so hard to find! <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not gonna kill you at my house. Welcome back to another episode of Critically Optimistic. I'm your host, Maggie, and joining me is Janko. Say hello, Janko. Hey, happy to be back. This episode was one I intended to be about video nasties, but while it still is, it has become much more than that. And before we get started, we have some news. Mac is now a dad again. He welcomed his son into the world, so congratulations to him. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. That's great. I'm so happy for them. Indeed, me too. And we're both doing, me and Janko are both doing uh, horror challenges. That's right. What is the one uh, you're doing, Janko? Well, the one I'm doing now is uh, the 61 Days of Horror. Uh, last last year I did the 31 Days, and that uh, that's basically where I would watch one horror film every day for October up until Halloween, and that turned out to be a huge success. So instead, for this year, I decided to include September as well, hence the name 61 Days. So it's 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 going pretty well so far. Um, I mean, we're re recording this the 15th, and I'm already on day 15, and have watched a couple of good films so far. Uh, many more fi awesome films coming up, so that's uh, definitely something to so you plan, look forward to. So you plan them ahead? Yeah, that's what I did. I ma basically made a list out of, off of them, and just specifically chose films i've never seen before um, yeah and and this also helps me clear up my watch list which is also nice because it's, yeah it's a, it's a watch list of 
at least over thousand titles. So yeah, I think <laughs> after I have, a while it just becomes. I think too, I have over five thousand on mine. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is quite quite a lot. And then I'm also doing a horror movie challenge. Um, the one by Spooky Sarah. Uh, one hundred horror Ooh, nice. movies in ninety two days. Is is this completely random with the films you you pick? When I pick, yes, I do it completely random. I just open up my Plex and I hit unwatched horror and shuffle. Oh. Nice, yeah. So I've been getting a wide range of films, and I am on my 86th now. Okay, wow. That, this, that's impressive. <laughs> it started August 1st, and it goes to Halloween. All right, yeah. Yeah, so 85. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, and you're not even at Halloween yet, so that's go- definitely going fast. <laughs> yeah, I can I can watch stuff at pretty fast pace. So moving on um before we get into this episode i would like to give a huge trigger warning all the films that we talk about today do involve sexual assault if that's something that you cannot handle we absolutely understand if you're not able to listen to this episode if it is welcome and you are going to be taken on a journey um through everything that we've uh, found out. Um, Indeed, indeed. So it also goes without saying that this will be filled with spoilers for all of the films discussed. And before we get into anything, I would like to briefly touch on what a video nasty is. So in the 1980s, when VHS first came out, there was a big surge of horror films and everything being released on VHS. And there was a loophole in the BBFC classification where they were able to bypass being certified by them. So anything was able to be released. And then there was a big fear hmm. of it affecting children negatively. Or at least that's what they said. That's where dope. That were dare words, basically. Yeah, well, not words, mm. but content. Like violence against women, mm-hmm. sexual assault, uh, language. More particularly, in that case, fight for your life, which I know you watched recently. I did, yeah. I, I f- uh, fairly enjoyed that one, actually. Yeah, it, it's a really well-made film, but the language is very, very strong and it, hard. Yeah, it is just It is very disgusting. Yeah, I think, true. I think that's the only reason that one was actually put on the list was for the language within the film Mm -hmm, right Um, i mean understandable yeah so they had to redo the obscene publications act of 1954 in uh 1984 And when they did that, they closed that loophole and it was implemented um, that they would have to have BBFC certification when they were released on tape. Now, there was a lot of censorship on it, but there was two possessions of films or sections of films, right? There was the section one, which were 39 films that were successfully prosecuted and outright banned in the UK. And then there was section two, which was 82 films that were not prosecuted, but they could be seized. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a purist when it comes to this, and I do not consider those 82 films video nasties. Yeah, that makes sense. I only consider the 39 because they were successfully prosecuted. And I know this was a very Cliff Notes version of video nasties, 
and that's because, you know, in the future, you know, I'd like to do more episodes about this and just kind of give you a little bit more information as we go on. Indeed, that, yeah. would, that would be very fun. So um, the first thing that we are going to discuss is actually not a film. I will tell you how I came to this. When we were selecting the movies, I let Janko pick first and Janko chose one of his favorite movies. That's right. That's Last House on the Left. Yep. And I chose one that I felt would complement it called House on the Edge of the Park. Which honestly is a perfect double, double bill considering the both the genre and uh, and that they both uh, star star the same actor. Right. They both star David Hess. Although one is Italian and one is not. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Although the one film did influence a lot of Italian films though. So yeah, it is. Yeah. So what I... I've always known that The Last House on the Left was somewhat loosely based off of Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring. So I was like, well, you know, I'd like to watch The Virgin Spring and see if I can make any connections between The Virgin Spring and Last House on the Left. As soon as I started watching The Virgin Spring, Pop-Up comes on and says it's based off of a 13th century ballad. So of course I had to go in and look into the ballad. And uh, it's Swedish. So I can't really say the names very well, but I think Janko can. Yes. So the title is so the the ballad is called uh, Tores Dotter Ivanje, which basically means force daughters in the in the spring or meadow or marsh even like vanga basically means like a like a wide terrain of like swamp area i didn't know that so yeah <laughs> i mean it, it, it is the same it is the same word in norwegian as it is in swedish uh, uh, in norwegian you would say vang uh, vangen but in in swedish it is uh, vanga but yeah, so Forest Daughters in the Meadow is probably the best translation of, of the of the ballad title. That's great to know because whenever I was trying to look it up and I were I, I tried to like Google translate it and all that kind of stuff, mm. it wouldn't translate Vanga. It would just okay, it would well. keep it like that. There's no translation yeah. for it. So it would be like daughters in Vanga. Like, okay, I, I just assumed it was a town. So knowing that it means that makes a whole lot more sense to me. Mm, yeah, absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> the quick gist of the ballad is uh, how do you say his name? Tude, which is you would say it in um, in Swedish, but okay, like it, it's it's four basically. Okay, uh, so you just said it, so I'm not gonna have to. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, him and his wife. Uh, have three daughters and they are on their way to church and um, three highwaymen pop up and tell them that they can live if they marry them but if they refuse that they will kill them and they refuse and they kill all of them and um, wells spring up from their dead bodies like water mm. water springs right oh, yeah. and then the men go on they steal the clothing from the girls, however, which are like silk 
clothing. And they go on and they end up at the home of the family and they seek refuge there. One of them offers the mother uh, one of the silks claiming it belonged to his sister. And she immediately recognizes it and tells her husband and he goes and he grabs his sword and he mm. kills two of them. In the third one, he asks them who their mother and father were and it ends up being him. So it's kind of a tragedy and all three of his daughters were killed and then sons that they had, I guess, essentially abandoned and didn't particularly know that I assume they were maybe out looking for, the highwaymen looking for them. He lets him live, but he has to deal with the emotional consequences of the daughters being dead and then now two of the sons. And so realizing these sins, he vows to build a church to atone for them. And that's, that's the ballad. I hope that explanation wasn't too long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> um, so that's, that's where we start is there. And from there, Bergman took inspiration and he changed it a decent amount, but not totally. He only has one daughter in the film. Did you watch The Virgin Spring as well, I, I, I did. I did, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a very impressive film, and honestly, I, it's honestly the first Bergman film I've also seen, so ah. that was also a, a general treat. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they have a daughter and a adoptive daughter, I thought, mm -hmm. like um, a, a foster daughter, right? Right. She was pregnant, and I think That's it was right, yeah. in like an out-of-wedlock kind of yeah, marriage. Yeah, I think it was also... A way to explain how yeah. pure uh, the daughter was opposed Karen. to yeah. I, Karen. Yeah, Karen. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Which, which is interesting that they named her Karen because that was actually the name of the mother in the ballad. Oh right, yeah. And they just and used the, it as her name. Yeah, and Ingeri was the yes the, the foster daughter. Right, and she was the exact opposite of. In, indeed, yeah, that, yeah. that is a nice juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, no, honestly, I. I had no idea this movie was such a huge inspiration for what we're going to talk about later uh, that it, it completely blew my mind. <laughs> and uh, would you consider this the first like rape revenge film? Well, this came out in what? Or, or what? <clears throat> this six, came out in 1960. 1960? Um, right. I'd, I'd say maybe I doubt it was the first one. Um, maybe right. Yeah. Just because film has been around for so long, it marks maybe one of the more sophisticated ones ah that that i like to hear yeah indeed right because a lot of them are really sleazy and kind of grimy and everything and mm -hmm. this one is very masterfully and beautifully presented oh, yeah. to you Poop. it's not it's not very i'm trying to think of the right word not intense but it's not as gratuitous no it is that's true. it's very restrained it's very restrained it's not too graphic either like right. it, it is it is a horrible film like like the act is is shown in a quite brutal way honestly but it's well it's not like it's not as brutal kind of, as in that's true more yeah. modern terms but for 1960 i'd assume that that, that was, was incredibly brutal another big difference in this is they are not his sons um yeah yeah obviously and he does kill them all <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, in different ways they go and they find her body and you know as soon as they remove her a well springs up from her from where her head laid and that's where he decided mm. to build his church and it was just mm. this amazing bone chilling speech from max von Sydow. it was just wonderful it was fantastic yeah it was great it was really good and it's really you really don't want to make Max von Sydow angry. No, oh my <laughs> god. From this film. <laughs> he was really intense. 
Yeah, oh, there was, very. <laughs> I think, like, out of the three murders, and I think the one that I enjoyed the most was the boy. The, the oh, yeah, one. when he just tosses him just, like, across the room. He picks him up over his head and just flings him across the room yeah. into a wall. It was like some kind of wrestling move. Like, there was no, it was just, like, two hands up and above and across the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It was it was almost comical, but it was, yeah. but I really I thought that that was my favorite. Um, the other ones were more of like you know getting stabbed or their throat slit or mm. something. But that one That's right. into the wall, into the wall you go. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've discussed that a, a little bit, we're going to go into our first film, which I would like to give the floor to Janko, because it is one yeah, of his favorite you. movies, as I've already said. Well, that's right. It is my four favorite film of all time, Of if I'm going after my top 20 films. And, uh, well, this film came out in 1972, uh, was directed by Wes Craven, and at the time during the release, it it got a lot of controversy for obvious reasons. I mean, it uh, this had a, a huge problem when it went into cinemas. Like, it offended, obviously, a lot of people. And the, adver- the marketing was, it's only a movie. Uh, to remain, to avoid feigning, just reminding yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. <laughs> the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death the last house on the left to avoid fainting keep repeating it's only a movie only a movie only a movie sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Take as only much as you can. Only a movie. And, I mean, that was a clever... A uh, way to advertise a film, I thought. So you have our two main characters, which are uh, Marianne and Phyllis. They're young delinquents, and they 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 love partying, and they go out in the city and they get kidnapped by a band of rough, uh, brutal people, which I'll get back to uh, after a while. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, because I actually have uh, have written down quite a lot of, about these specific characters. Oh, okay. But uh, it was I found an interesting thought. But I, I I absolutely love this film. I I think it is it still holds up to this day. I love the way this film is shot. Uh, it is very dirty. It's rough. And it is one of the earlier films of Wes Craven. And it's it's honestly a surprise that this film didn't end his career right then and there. <laughs> because people hated him for at least a year after this film came out. <laughs> I mean, I've, I mean, like, um, like I, I've heard stories of being with people, like girlfriends after he made this film and when he mentioned the film at the dinner table like they would look at him in disgust and like <laughs> get out of my house <laughs> and uh been, been very fun watching like a lot of 
bonus special features for this film oh. uh, in that regard because there's a lot of film stuff I didn't know uh, prior to this oh. uh, apparently the script was supposed to um, apparently the original script was way more graphic than what is actually shown in the film well most uh, of the film is a lot of the violence is actually off screen it is yeah that's the only the only real violent thing that happens is the embowelment of Phyllis uh, yeah and the stabbing and because like like uh, phyllis's initial rape was off screen you could hear it but it is it was off screen marianne that's right and marianne's rape too it was is, very just close up on her face that's right which which is also a, a nod to the virgin springs and even uh, even some of the violence towards the perpetrators was also off screen like yeah when right. crew gets his head blown off even when they show him later like his dead yeah. body, his body is obscured to where you don't see what was actually the remnants yeah. of where his head once was. You know, you're absolutely you're absolutely right about that, indeed. Uh, because in the original script, like it was supposed to be like this grand, like pornographic shoot almost, because there was so much like graphic content that was written in the script. Uh, because like it was more descriptive uh, than what is actually shown and i i mean it, it is for the better that they went at this route because it, it became a timeless uh, horror film yeah uh, well sometimes because what you, sometimes not seeing something makes it worse in your mind indeed i mean it, texas chainsaw massacre is a good example on that oh yeah uh, like the, the the first meat hook scene mm -hmm. uh, you don't really see see the impalement but it's still horrible because it's so minimalistic that it is actually quite horrific with what is going on and it is very similar to to this as well um and and i i do enjoy the our main bad guys uh you have david hess who is the ringleader krug. plays krug which later became the involvement the name is basically and later became freddy krueger oh so they use that yeah. as oh that's nice was that something you yeah. heard on the commentary? Yeah, yes, yeah, on the commentary and uh, like the behind the scenes of the making of the film from oh, wow. Wes Craven. So, so that was that was really neat. And you have Krug, who's played by David Hess, and then you have Fred Weasel. I forgot his last name. Who's played by Fred Lincoln, uh, a porn actor, basically, actually, which I was not aware of. Ew, gross. <laughs> and you have. <laughs> Sadie, uh, who's played by Jeremy Rain, who is Richard Dreyfuss's wife, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And Mark Scheffler, who is who plays Junior, the son of Krug. You know what I also find interesting with all the actors in this film is they are very unknown actors. Like, they are. Beside, uh, like the only, only major actor in this film is the deputy. Uh, who's played by uh, Martin Cove, who later played in like Karate Kid and uh, well, well now Cobra Kai, but <laughs> I, I I never realized that he was in he was the deputy in Last House on the Left, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, one thing that I I find interesting is this was David Hess's first film. That's right. Yeah. Rep, and he also composed the score for the film. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have some issues with the score. Oh, okay. Um, what, uh, what, what, what kind of issues? Uh, I felt that it was at times scored for like a comedy. Oh, right. The, the, so the, like when they're loading the, the girls in the trunk, it sounds like very 
kind of Benny Hill. That is kind right. Of music. Yeah, but us indeed. But when you also listen to the text, like uh, like the songs with lyrics are actually very very good. Krug the road leads. There is one, but the song I really like is "The Road Leads to Nowhere." Yeah, that that, that is a really good song. That's mm-hmm. actually a a song i wake up to in the morning quite honestly is it <laughs> yeah that is uh, that is one of my favorite songs <laughs> but uh it it, it 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 has implemented into me because of that specific moment in this film and uh, I'll, I'll get to that uh, in a bit okay but but yeah it is such a such a masterful song what's funny though with the soundtrack though is that david hess got offered twenty eight thousand dollars uh budget to mix and master the soundtrack but unfortunately it uh, it flopped right away after after the release of the film mainly probably because of the controversy this film had yeah but uh, but later, it turned out that David has earned quite a lot back from that. I think it came back to where he earned at least a million dollars oh, uh, wow. a couple of years later. So so it, it definitely paid off for him. That's for sure. Yeah, they actually in I think it was 2013 they finally released the soundtrack on vinyl. And oh. I do have a copy of it. Um, that's that's nice. That's very impressive. Um, that's, that's something I'd love to own myself. Yeah, you should get it, especially being a such a huge fan as you are. Oh, oh, indeed, indeed. Um, but uh, but I yeah I I mentioned earlier that I had an interesting theory about okay. about David Hess's character and and the gang. Uh, like in this in this film, David Hess is kind of showcased like the devil, like he is Satan incarnate, and then you have Sadie and Weasel who are his blind followers. And then you also have Junior, who is like the offspring of him, but he's all defective. Like he's a, he's an addict. Like he's... Well, Krug made him an addict to get him to do that's, what he that, wanted. That's true. That's his master's voice. Like, yeah. it, like he... Krug has an impressive power with his voice, uh, be it the piss your pants scene or... Piss your pants. Be it the blow your brains out scene. Like... Blow your he shows a lot of power with his voice. I'm not, I'm of course not trying to sound like I'm defending the character, but I just find it interesting. He's very intense. It's very intense. And it is, it's a very scary type of evil because later on in the film, you realize that while Sadie and Weasel, they show some type of remorse. Well, Sadie more than Weasel. I think Sadie actually offers to help Phyllis get away at one point, but then she hits her in the face with yeah, a rock. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but Krug is a whole different person. He he doesn't feel any remorse about this whatsoever. Yeah, like, nothing. Uh, nothing. And even even when they're at the, when they enter the parents' house and they discover what is going on, like krug is still krug <laughs> yeah and uh, he's kind of laughing uh, about it when he realizes indeed yeah but uh, again i'm not i'm not defending the characters but i just find them cruelly evil and i i, I just love evil character studies uh, in that sense I, i'm always a person who is fascinated by villains in, in movies Hess plays a great but one indeed it is an impressive villain indeed truly terrifying because this is not a <laughs> because this is a horror character that isn't wearing a mask he's not a killer he's just being human and sometimes most times that is 
even more scary than a lunatic going out on a yeah. murder spree. That actually reminds me of something from a documentary I saw oh. years ago called uh, Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. Okay, And they, they do talk a little bit about the different types of horror films. And it was, I believe, um, John Carpenter who said it, that oh. there's two kinds of horror stories you can tell. There's one that's the evil is out there. And then the other mm-hmm. one... Right is the evil inside of humanity, which is the harder one to tell, but the scarier one. If you do it right, it just just becomes the perfect horror film. Exactly. Uh, And uh, I also love the fact that after the the rape is done, they all basically wash their sins off by washing the blood off in the lake. And that kind of absolves them of it yeah they're just done at that it's over yeah indeed there's just so many moments i love from this film like it's my most favorite moment is of course when they're finally done with marianne and she walks into the lake the music plays in the background of you're all alone by david hess yeah and she gets she gets shot in the head and that's such a powerful scene and it still lingers to me yeah since since i watched the film for the first time that one is one of the more powerful scenes in the film and it's also one of the Mm few scenes of on-screen violence in the movie yeah that, is that's when they right. shoot her yeah you actually see her get get shot yeah it's like one of the the only one of the few but it's but it's like at that moment like not only herself is violated but her entire soul is violated so right every every human emotion is devoid from her from her mind and she just walks into that lake like cold nothing nothing else is she's just done she's given up she's done yeah and that that speaks so many words uh yeah and then and then it's also so frustrating when you have like the the police the law enforcement that are showcased as complete idiots they use the comedic comedic music for them as well oh he's a junior sadie Right. Yeah. This is very frustrating when you have like morally good characters that are doing jack all about saving uh, the the damsels in 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 the story, and it's just it's obviously made for reactionary? to make you feel ang- yeah to make be reactionary to make you feel angry of what is going on because and it's I've, I think that's done effective too. Um, although the, the the comedic songs is a bit. Yeah. Maybe a bit too much. Yeah, they, at, they at take times. me they take me out of the movie, to be completely honest. The, and I, I feel bad saying that because it is a classic, but I, <laughs> I did find upon a rewatch, you know, it had been maybe ten years or so since I'd oh, seen it. That that is a long time though, yeah. yeah. Things change And I found that. that I didn't enjoy it as much as I used to. All and right, I was a little okay. scared to say that because I know how much of a fan <laughs> you are. No worries. I mean, you're allowed to. You're absolutely allowed to think, feel however you want. It's not like a. Film, it's man. not like a one star film to me or anything. But it's not you know not, like a five. Obviously not. But that that's completely fine. Not all films need to be a five star. Like, I I would have asked questions if it were a half star. But <laughs> but were it like uh, that's fine. Oh no, it's um, not half star. Absolutely, <laughs> it's better but, than uh, that. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean. I mean, people have their own opinions and they're allowed to feel their own way they want about a film. I also, re- I also have issues with the ending. Oh, kind of issues do you have there? The freeze frame. Like, it, that, it, it yeah, felt it, like they... Um, they didn't have an, have something to end on, so they just... All right, yeah, you have it. Yeah, just stop there. That, yeah. That's it. Because I, I would have liked to have seen more of, like, 
instead of them just sitting in the living room, you know, mm-hmm. um, with the cops there, I would have, I kind of would have liked to have seen the interaction with the cops a little bit. Them kind of explaining. Yeah, um, that, that would have been a, that would have been a nice ending indeed. Yeah. I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that it would have been a, a better end because it, it almost seemed like they mm. ran out of film or they ran out of money or yeah. or something and they were just like, okay, well, we'll just freeze frame it. And that's something that's really common yeah. with 70s films. I've that found. is right. Yeah, that is. They that like is to end on indeed. freeze frames. Also, uh, let alone like the final half, the final 20 minutes or so of the film when they finally enter the house feels completely different. Yeah, it's a different the, vibe. Well, because it's the parents definitely. that yeah, these upstanding like a, citizens have to then take indeed. revenge. And I found the chainsaw scene where he goes after Krug to be particularly yeah. effective. Um, oh, yeah. Because he tricks him with the gun number one Mm -hmm. and then he goes in the basement and gets a fucking chainsaw and um that's the first Uh, uh, time he really sees some form of fear from krug Krug. yeah Yeah. indeed that is is a very good point and it also just shows how terrifying the doctor their rage is you push someone too hard they will they will bite back and this just john collingwood is, is the father's name yeah and I also find also find the the mother Estelle how she deals with the weasel, weasel to, to be just as effective. Yeah, she bit his just, dick off. I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and the way the way she plays it, like uh, first in the house when 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 Weasel approaches her and she's playing it very cool when when Marianne is like laying onto the couch. This is after they found her body. Yeah, and like. Like she played it so Bogart in that scene that it was so I was rooting for her at that point and that was fun. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, but, I, I really I like the parental revenge. The revenge is always mm. what I enjoy in these. In, indeed, it's my favorite part in any rape revenge film as well. Yeah. Well, I, I don't really have too much else to Just to say about this talk. This one. So, yeah, the only thing I would like to mention though uh, before I go to my rating is that. I, I do love some of the cutting in into this film. There's there a lot are of some hard cuts in the beginning when the the radio the news radio is talking about Krug and them escaping and it just really quickly cuts to them like Krug and Junior outside some store. Well, they use just... the radio as a way to introduce the characters. Indeed, and it's a, such a good way to introduce them because you know right away at the get-go that these people are dangerous and scary. They will cause hell throughout this film and just be warned. Uh, like, you know, we, we're presenting it to you right here and now. Yeah. And uh, the same as when something horrible happens and then it cuts to the parents while they're baked, like, they're decorating the cake and like i just it's just like so unfair uncuts that that's another thing it... too with those scenes the music goes back and forth throws me <laughs> so much when mm. when that happens because it's like this more kind of serious kind of music and then it goes benny hill and then it goes yeah. back and it's just i i feel like they they probably shouldn't have done those mm. comedic yeah. numbers, yeah. but I I also, can also I've... see why they wanted to because if you have music like that in a film this intense, mm. 
it gives some <laughs> sort weird. of comic relief and sometimes oh, yeah. people need that in these kind of movies also another thing i'd love to mention too i feel i feel a bit sorry for the actress who played um, mary sandra peabody because david hess and bad lincoln they were absolutely terrifying during the production of the film like the, the guy who played uh, junior mark scheffler mm-hmm. uh, there's a moment where he describes them doing the scene. This is when Junior and Mary are by themselves and they're, the others are chasing Phyllis. Which was and... a long chase. Watching the chase in real time. It, it, it's a, it's a... Yeah, and then it does last quite a long indeed. Yeah. Like 10 minutes or so. Yeah, it's considerably long, yeah. Junior and Mary, they, they, are, they are standing over a cliff and Mark Scheffler explained that during the production of the film, like she was Mary Sandra Peabody was having such a huge problem with remembering her lines that Mark basically held her over the cliff and said, "If you don't get this right now, I will toss you off this fucking cliff, and Wes will still shoot it, and we will still get this film." Holy and, crap! Holy crap! And, um, That's scary. And the parent. Yeah, and apparently David has also threatened something similar during the initial rape scene. Uh, and it's it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate for that actress because she didn't wind up playing in anything else, if not really anything Big. substantial. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that's I, I, I honestly never knew that, but that's interesting to learn about, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've never still... heard of anyone <laughs> dangling somebody over a cliff for not remembering their lines. Yeah. Until now. But also... <laughs> But also, uh, it seems like the production of the film was also very, like, guerrilla style. Like, yeah. The actor who played, uh, Fred, the guy who played Weasel, like, he did a lot of the, he was the consultant for a lot of the violent parts, like the, how you do this, how you do that, because he apparently had a lot of experience from that, from his porn productions. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, so he was like the, the, I guess you could say like the, the, the stunt gaff or like the, the choreographer, um. Just kind of everybody had because a different the, role within the... Indeed, yeah. Because it was a very amateurish production, but it turned out like a impressive film. <laughs> but also, this film wound up like creating a lot of... This film wound up creating a lot of influence, especially for Italian cinema. Because you wound up getting like movies like Late Night Trains, which is basically Last House on the Left, taking place on a train, which is equally as awesome and i recommend you watching that if you've never seen that i haven't seen that one and then i also watched deaf weekend which is kind of the same but it's more romanticized last house on the left did and it's you not as effective. watch the remake uh i i was trying to but my disc was broken oh. <laughs> it was like i was opening the 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 case and apparently there was a huge crack on my disc so i, I unfortunately didn't get to see it in time i but, uh, actually you, did you see it? i did watch it i actually like it better oh mm, which i didn't yeah. think was gonna happen but it did because <laughs> normally yeah, i'm not well, a huge fan of horror remakes especially of classics but um i felt that they gave a bit more of a backstory to mm. the characters the names were a little so. different um except for krug and mary the character of weasel was then turned into i think krug's brother and okay. was named justin i think it was just mm. or maybe the son was justin one of one of them was justin there was different names other than sophie and krug and mary mm. and all that um but in that one mary actually ends up surviving when she's shot in the film she gets shot more like in the in the shoulder 
right? Okay, right, right. And it was from such a distance they didn't realize she wasn't dead. And she, they don't show it, but she like crawls her way up to the porch and like fucks with a rocker and gets her parents' attention. And then her dad being a doctor tends to her. And then they realize what happened because, you know, they took... The necklace in the original film was the signifier of yeah right of that. right it was and yeah. so that was brought back in the form of a different necklace that the okay. son had picked up. They ripped it off of her when they were raping her, which was incredibly more brutal than oh yeah I imagine so. The um he rips her necklace off of her at one point, throws it, and the son okay. picks it up. And keeps it. And when they go to the house and are presenting themselves as having car trouble, he actually leaves it on the counter. Like Okay, really? Like wow. he sets it up around a cup so that they hmm. know. And then she finds it and they kind of realize what's happening. And then Mary shows up and then they get the full gravity of what has happened and take their revenge uh on them the son doesn't kill himself he helps them with the revenge sort of played by a much younger person who would be like a teenager it's almost like they're trying to save him from that situation as well but it's interesting i mean i'll I'll give it a watch give it give it a whirl it wasn't Mm. as bad as i thought it was going to be i think it it could have stood on its own with a different title okay yeah um there are some very similar things in it but at the end of the day, it's a revenge film, and right, a of lot course, of revenge yeah. films are all very similar. Um, yeah, indeed. I mean, they all have the same formula in the sense. It's almost like the same, yeah. just using, I think the only similarities really are the use of the names of the characters, the kind of setup for it. Um, right. Other than that, I think it, it can stand pretty well on its, if they had used other names... I think it mm. it would have been perfectly fine. All right, yeah. No, but uh, it's it's interesting that you uh, speak so highly of it. I yeah, mean, like I never like thought a... I'd talk highly about a remake, but hey, no. here we are. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, well, highly of a remake other than The Thing by John Carpenter. Oh, the greatest remake of all time, honestly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, another another film I watched uh, after Last House on the Left, other curiosity was Last House on the Beach, which <laughs> which is another <laughs> which is another uh, Italian film that was obviously based obviously got influence from mm-hmm. Last House on the Left, and it's a more it's a more <laughs> acid in, acid induced sleazy Italian film uh, about about a nun who takes care of some girls at a remote beach house who are reenacting. Uh, rehearsing a Midsummer's Night's Dream play, mm. while uh, like while bank robbers are holding up there. Yeah, you know the rest. Probably what happens. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's it's a powerful film. I love the nun, uh, the main character, the nun, and she really becomes a impressive character near the end. And uh, I, I thought it was good. Nice. And, well, yeah, but we can we can move over. Oh, to let's hear our rate, ratings rate. first. Yeah. I mean, with no surprise, uh, I'm obviously giving this a five. <laughs> um, I still think it stands tall today. I love the influence it has on me, uh, like the, the impact it has on me. Uh, it is probably my favorite horror film of all time. 
but also my number four favorite film of all time because it but just re-watching it now a couple of days ago i still feel so strongly about all the powerful moments in this film and the all the good characters and for being such a low budget film for being such an indie film such an impressive uh, act of display nice uh, so that's a five for you right five for me five indeed. For you. I gave it a three. Yeah, still fair. So, you know, three is like my, I like this. It's good, you know? Yeah. Uh, three is like my average kind of rating. So, mm-hmm. right. So, I ever serve free for that as well. Yeah. Indeed. So, not not bad. And I gave the remake a four. Okay. Well, because yeah. <laughs> I appreciated a little bit more of the backstory that came with it. Um, okay. Nice. You know, it took it and expanded, and I thought it did it very well. Okay, that's good. And so, uh, before we get into uh, House on the Edge of the Park, which was the film I chose, I want to talk a little (laughs) bit about David Hess, um, since he is the star of both the films playing psychopaths. Before he started playing those roles um, in the 50s up until uh, maybe the early 70s or so, he was a singer yeah. and songwriter, and he um, he even wrote songs for Elvis Presley, some of which include I Got Stung, Come Along, Sandcastles. Um, oh, he nice. composed scores, Last House on the Left. He did a children's film called Buck at the Edge of Heaven, and he actually directed his own film in 1980 called To All a Good Night, which is a Christmas slasher film. Interesting. Yep. And I haven't seen it yet. I don't think. Um, If I did, it was before I I had Letterboxd. I haven't seen it either. I don't think. Um, I think I have it, though. At another point, he actually moved to Germany for a while and was dubbing German films and would help create English language scripts for German directors. Okay, most notable being Rainer Werner Fassbender. All right, wow. And then he released some albums in his later years. And then after that, he did songs for Eli Roth's Cabin Fever. And then he, up until his death in 2011, worked um, teaching yeah. improv at the California Institute's Young Critics Jury Training Program. Wow. So he has a very, his career is something that's very interesting to look into because it's, For sure. he, he just didn't play these psychopaths on screen. He did so many things with music and composing and teaching and directing and just everything. Like he was like hmm. the all-in-one guy. So Wow, yeah. Yeah, very impressive guy for sure. Yeah. Are we going to booty? Oh, you're gonna have a party. Just to get together. A get together? How many people? (laughs) Now behave yourself. like to say i thought that initially house on the edge of the park was influenced by last house on the left and i found out through an interview with david s that it is not oh really 
He said the only similarities between the two was that he played a psychopath in both of them. And when you play a psychopath, there's going to be a lot of similarities. Of course. Yeah. So as far as David Hess was concerned, they were two completely different films. All right. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll start with that because I I thought it was inspired at first, but now I know it's not. So House at the Edge of the Park is one of my favorite films rape revenge films much like Janko's is last house on the left um mm-hmm. i find it to be a little bit more sophisticated than Definitely. last house on the left it was directed by Ruggiero diodato uh composed by riz ortaliani and um obviously stars david Hess and then giovanni lombardi ridici but it was also his first film oh i didn't realize that ricky is bob from city of the living dead <laughs> that yeah my mind now right now <laughs> <laughs> He was also in Cannibal Ferox, so... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. He would use the name oh. John Morgan a lot when he acted instead of okay. his real name. So you see him pop up in all kinds of stuff. When the movie opens, it is this wonderful lullaby song that plays. You see the traffic and you see a woman driving followed by David Hess trying to catch her attention, honking at her. Mm-hmm. Waving at her, winking at her, motioning her to pull over. Uh, obviously not something any sane person would do. And once they get to a more secluded area, he pulls his car in front of hers, jumps in the car, and rapes and murders her. What is so interesting about the scene for me is that instead of them gratuitously showing it, they flash between scenes of solid blackness in contrast with the actions that are going on on screen so you'll hear it at some points you'll see it at some point but then at other points you 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 just don't you'll hear it but you won't see it Mm -hmm. it just flashes and i love that i think that's absolutely fantastic from there cut to him at work david has at work his character's name was alex and uh giovanni's was ricky now when hess alex murdered the woman in the beginning he Stole a necklace of hers, which is one of the reasons I think I found some similarities to Last House on the Left was there was a necklace mm-hmm. involved. And he wears it. You know, he's wearing it when you see him. Right. And then Ricky appears and they're going to go out, according to Ricky. They're ready to go boogie. It's very mm-hmm. apparent that Ricky is not firing on all cylinders. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's a little... Indeed. He's a little off. Not exactly explained how or in what way. But you just watching his character, you know that he is like he's a he's an easy person to manipulate. Uh, indeed, yeah, easily exactly. manipulatable. Um, Maybe a little bit delusional. Del- I think he's low on the IQ scale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. um they're gonna go out and then a car pulls in a man and a woman they say they're having car issues uh alex obviously says hey i'm off duty i'm not doing that then they offer to pay him to which he refused uses still and ricky was like shit i'll do it so he takes the money and he fixes Mm. the car and then they kind of self-invite themselves to a party That's right. that the two people are going to. That's the setup for there. And then you get to the party. And for a while, 
everything is kind of okay. Like everyone seems to be getting along well. There's not really any issues. Much Last House on the Left, there is kind of a classist thing going on because the home and the people there are obviously more on the wealthy side, whereas... Indeed. You know, Ricky and Alex are more kind of like your blue collar kind of workers. So there's that kind of at play. But you can kind of tell that Alex is very protective of Ricky. And it starts with the dancing. When they turn the music on and they encourage him to dance, there's scenes of Alex's face just being disgusted. He keeps telling them that they're fucking with him and that he looks like an idiot and he should stop and that they're just making fun of him and to an extent they actually are i think anyone coming after ricky in any kind of way triggers alex he's protective kind of like yeah it's kind of like a big brother role yeah right like when when i was watching um the special features that was actually something that came up what was said about the relationship he had with rick they asked him actually if it was a romantic relationship, maybe? Kind of looks like that, especially uh, when he accidentally, like, cuts him. Right. Alex he's... gets very heartbroken over it. So what David has said um, about that in the relationship of the characters was considers their relationship kind of like father-son, confessioner, confessor, brother, oh. psychological but not physical lover at times. And that him and Giovanni really tried to kind of play with the theme of like there could have been a gay relationship or male bonding, but it isn't especially clear of what it is. So mm-hmm. he eventually Indeed. just kind of ended it up with uh, all of the above kind of the relationship they have, which I thought was really interesting because that is a dynamic that is very obvious on the screen um but then he also tries to make ricky do things that ricky obviously doesn't want to do um there's a scene where alex tries to make ricky rape one of the female attendants of the party uh named gloria She's the woman in mm-hmm. red. And he can't do it. Like, he he sees her her fear. He sees her anger. He sees all these emotions in her. How she doesn't want to do this. And it puts him off to it. And he's like, I can't. Can't do it. Sorry. I can't. And Alex actually gets mad about this. And at one point during this, um, the initial uh, woman that was in the vehicle, and I don't remember her name, says she's going to the kitchen. So he follows after her, tries to seduce her, essentially. And while he is attempting to do this, they decide to play poker. And then she decides she's going to go take a shower. So obviously, Alex waits a minute. He goes and he checks in on Ricky to see if he's doing okay. He sees that he's playing poker, everything's fine, hunky-dory, everybody's getting along. Cut to her in the shower, and it's this beautiful shower with this just glass wall. And Hess, Alex, comes in and starts stripping and walks over to the glass. And she presses herself against the glass, which I think is just a, a wonderful scene, I think. I think it's really artistically done like she's pressed up against the glass and he like kisses her body through the glass kind of Mm -hmm. plays with her through the glass so it's very kind of erotic like she's 
offering herself to him in a playful way. But at this point, we haven't seen any of, other than the initial rape at the beginning of the film, any violent behavior from him at this party. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it it, it, it works as increments. Like, it yeah. becomes more and more mm-hmm. once the film goes on. Yeah, it, it, it takes a little while to get there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then he comes downstairs and is frustrated about the situation because when she got out of the shower, she told him to come in with her, so he got in, and then she just left. So she was kind of playing with him. Right. Cut to Ricky downstairs, who is absolutely losing all of his money at poker. And he thinks that they're cheating him. And then when Alex comes back downstairs, he asks Alex for money to play poker still. And then he kind of explained what was happening. Like he shows Alex his his cards and he thinks his cards are great. So he gives him the money loses to which Alex thinks that they're taking them for a ride was the phrase he used. And he makes them give him all the cards, redeal it. And this was really where it starts to escalate is at this poker game. At this point, like after the poker table thing, Things do start to take off in this film, and I like the violence that is portrayed. Uh, the violence is like, very uh, intense. It's it's not off screen yeah. in this. No, it's also a little bit cuckolding the violence. Uh, the, basically, especially what Alex does to the men that are at this party. Like he's pretty much emasculating them. Right. Like, uh, like. Like he's taking away their manlyhood or something. Like he he beat and... the shit out of Howard, who was involved in the poker game when it all went bad. I think he tried to fight Alex about it or something, and then Alex beat the shit out of him and tied his neck to a table leg. So he was pretty much out of commission for a while in the film. Like you would see him every now and then, but he was only an observer to the violence Indeed. that was happening in the and... home, and he couldn't do anything about it. So he was right, and then later on he smashes Tom against the table multiple yeah, times. Yeah, like he was one of the probably out of the group of people there. He was the most physically fit, the most uh, equally matched one to him mm-hmm, that could have right. taken him down. So of course he has to take him out in some kind of way to remove that threat from. But does. That makes me think. Do you think he already foresaw that? Where Alex was kind of scanning the room, maybe? Possibly. Um, yeah. But... Do you think Do you think Alex has such a high IQ that he actually does that? Where he scans for... That he what? Like, do, do you think Alex is the type of person that has a high enough IQ where he just scans for danger, where it's almost like a chess piece is always I in think, move ahead. I think he does, because, I mean, he's ballsy yeah. enough to pull in front of a car and rape someone in the middle of the road and leave. Like, yeah, yeah. He, and he's he's also very confident about it when right. earlier Ricky men- mentions the police arrived or something. Yeah, like, he's not worried. He, yeah, he talks about, oh, well, if the police come, like, say you're in a bar and there's a mm-hmm. cop that's been hassling you, you just talk about this one one other cop's family who you found out where they were and they should leave you alone. So like inadvertent threats to the police about 
harming their family if they fuck with him. So I think, I think he's well aware of people and what they're capable of. I don't think he felt threatened by the initial male character in the film. And you said his name was what? Tom? Yeah. Tom was the the blonde guy. Okay, good. Now I, now I know. Cause I always, for some reason I always missed his name and, um, the woman in white. And I've seen this movie a million times and I've always just thought of them (laughs) as like the male and the female. Yeah, the the woman in white was Lisa. So Lisa. Lisa. Okay. Tom. Thank you. And I, mm. that for years I've always been like the main man, main female. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> and I've whipped this movie out so many times. So it's like, oh, you want to see a film? This is probably one of the worst ones that I'll whip out on people. Um, oh, it's a shame that they haven't seen it though. Because yeah, it is like a, I think it is a genuinely good film. It is. I mean... it, it's a rough film, but it's when you come into my home, you have to be wary about what I'm going to show you. <laughs> like, yeah, I believe that. <laughs> like you, you, you never know what you'll get from me. Um, good. <laughs> yeah, you could get uh, something completely, completely fine, or you can catch Cannibal Holocaust or something else like that. <laughs> Which some people have, yeah. So moving on, moving on from that, <laughs> uh, once uh, Howard is tied to the table, is when he tells Ricky that he can have any of the women that he wants. Mm, yeah, and um, he chooses Gloria. He was obviously attracted to Gloria from the moment he got there. He danced with her. He tried to talk to her. You know. Yeah. Um, so he drags him over. I guess it's kind of like a large ottoman. Gloria over there throws her down. Alex throws her down on the ottoman and instructs Ricky to rape her. And Ricky cannot do it because of her reactions. He just says, I can't make it this way. He says, well, let me show you how it's done. And he calls Lisa over and he just mm-hmm. gives her that look without saying what he wants he is implying what he wants. She gets down on her knees. She goes to blow him and he pushes her away. He says, see, she loves it. Like that's his rationale. <laughs> oh, no matter what, they love it. No matter what they say, which isn't the case. <laughs> but in his mm-hmm. warped mind, that is what it is. It's just like mm-hmm. playing hard, hard to get, I guess. And from there, I mean, they terrorize them like you know, kind of like rip at their clothes. There was some racial comments made toward one of the characters. He takes Lisa up to the bedroom upstairs, kind of after this, and he rapes her, but the rape is portrayed very oddly. Like, she's obviously fighting it, but at the end seemed consenting, and I know that's not the case, but that's how it came across. On the film, I don't know if you felt the same way. I totally understand what you're what you're saying, and it it did and uh, indeed uh, look like that. Yeah, it was just it was it's kind of a strange way to film it um, because you know she doesn't want to, and then I can I can bring it around later on to a comment made in the film. But make no mistake, I do see that as yeah, you know, no, it is well, obviously it's definitely. Um, I mean, she she even says at the end of it like it, it felt disgusting it felt horrible yeah once they come down from there is when things really kind of escalate because ricky was left in charge to watch everyone and ricky being ricky he's not 
fully there. He's there, but he's oblivious. Um, one of the characters escapes and turns off the lights once Alex is back downstairs. And this just kind of ups the ante of the violence to come. There's a lot more um, beating. I think about around this time, I believe that he took Tom and he smashed his head mm, in on the yeah. thing. Yeah, love, love, love that moment. Yeah, where there was a fight between Tom and Alex. Tom has his face repeatedly smashed into a table and then was hit with a bottle. He then gives the broken bottle. So that's what Ricky was using when he was watching everyone. So he's watching a very badly smashed up Tom, a tied up Howard, um, Gloria, and then Glinda slips off and turns the lights out in the home, um, Mm. making it dark in an attempt to escape. This obviously enrages Alex. He goes looking for her in the dark. You can see her kind of playing with the shadows and using them to conceal herself. And while this is happening, Ricky is Again, watching Gloria, Lisa, and Howard, and Tom. Eventually, he does catch Glinda when she turns the lock on the door. And he grabs her and brings her back into the living room. There's this scene, it really shows to me some of the simplicity of Ricky. Because while they're looking for, Alex is looking for Glinda in the dark. Mm -hmm. He confesses that he is very scared of being in the dark and he he needs the lights on because if the dark is on he can't control his thought to me that indicated a fear of the darkness or some kind of mental illness going on with him yeah for sure um because his reaction was so intense like it it almost seemed like he was about to cry because he was in the dark and that's always stood out to me as an interesting kind of like character point for him so they find glinda and then he brings her back in the living room and the one thing he does and to me it just it looks so painful like it makes me cringe he pulls her top down and he squeezes her tits like crazy hard right i don't i don't know if you get the same kind of like kind of reaction (laughs) that that i get from that but I don't. I don't know. I don't quite remember. The, I don't quite remember the specific scene at this moment. Oh, but it's <laughs> don't like it because <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Because it, it it looked like he was about to try to rip them off. Like that's like the, in, oh, the okay. intensity of grabbing he was doing. So yeah, that that part makes you cringe a little bit. The worst part would be is coming up is, with Cindy. With right? Cindy, yeah. So that is, uh, that is yeah. without a doubt, uh, the toughest moment. Of yeah. This film. Oh, it absolutely is. Um, and, and uh, also that lullaby song that oh, plays is uh, played throughout it. And mm. I love that. Look, I, I used to have that as a ringtone on my phone years ago, oh, nice. <laughs> like, you know, when you would like hold your phone to something and like record. Oh, record. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had that <laughs> as my ringtone. Oh, very nice. Um, because I think it's just such a beautiful song. It is, um, and it, it fits so well. I mean, this is why Diodato and um, Riz Ortolani work so well together because you have these horrific scenes that are happening, but it's juxtapositioned with like beautiful crafted music. It's the same like in Cannibal Holocaust when oh yeah absolutely you, ha- you have a literal you have a literal scene of a village burning and like like uh, villagers are like dying, and then you have that beautiful soundtrack playing over it and it's just poetic it's yeah it's beautiful wonderful. And it works so well um but it's the lyrics 
I mean, that really kind of put it over the top. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'll I'll circle back to the beginning because they use the same song because he mimics that song when he sings to Cindy when she is like in the house. I think the name of the title of the song was like Sweetly. Sweetly Oh Sweetly. And uh, I did They use this song um, in the beginning uh, with the initial rape. And then at the party, eventually the doorbell rings. To which Alex is enraged about who else could be showing up to the home. Mm -hmm. And he forces Gloria to go and answer the door. He follows with her and it's this girl, Cindy. And Cindy looks very young. She's obviously an adult, but she's a very petite, small, innocent looking woman. And I think Alex senses an opportunity right away with her. When this happens, when Gloria opens the door, she actually escapes out the door and he grabs Cindy and sends Ricky out to retrieve Gloria. And while Ricky is outside trying to find Gloria inside, Alex has begun terrorizing Cindy. Yeah, and then Gloria's trying to talk some sense into Ricky. Well, Ricky is telling her when he first approached her, look, I don't want to hurt you. I do not want to hurt you. She runs away again, and it's just intercut between these whole scenarios. Ricky going after Gloria and trying to console her that he's not going to hurt her. He has no intent to hurt her. And then on the inside, Cindy is being, she has been stripped. Um, Yeah, she's been completely humiliated. She was thrown on a couch and he took a straight razor, which is what he's used the majority of the film to intimidate everybody. He rips her clothes. He he runs the, the blade down her in kind of a sensuous manner, puts it under her shirt, and then shreds it, rips it off. Then you cut back to Ricky, who has found Gloria in the greenhouse. And they end up having what it's complicated for me to put into words like what I feel about that scene because I can't tell if it's he didn't force himself on her and she seemed to willingly give in to him but I think it was her way of trying to get a hand up of the situation to maybe gain some control of him like I think so I think that's it like oh if I have sex with this man he will listen to me um yeah because I, I doubt it is any form of Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, right, because it's it's it, it would have to be a considerably longer amount of time for a Stockholm Syndrome right. kind of thing to, Indeed. to happen. So I think she's using her femininity and her sexuality as a way to control the situation with Ricky. In between these, the sex scene with Ricky and Gloria in the greenhouse, it cuts back again to Cindy, who he now has standing up and he rips her pants off and she's just in her underwear and he's pawing all over her and he's been singing to her, much like the song Sweetly Oh Sweetly, he's singing Cindy Oh Cindy and it just kind of goes on from there. Comes to the realization that she's a virgin. Uh, this is when this is when Alex becomes the most terrifying. Yes, it's this is when it becomes... Ultra form in a sense. The... the, the 
thing that sends chills to my spine is when he says to her, Oh, you're a virgin! And he goes, You know what they say, you'll always remember your first time, and you'll always remember Alec. That, to me, is terrifying. Absolutely Indeed. terrifying. Yeah, it's a, it's a very scary thing to say. After this, Alex does not give any single kindness to Cindy. No, he throws her down on the couch and just starts slicing at her with his straight razor. Indeed. And then this is also cutting back and forth between Ricky and Gloria. And you have this Sweetly song playing as well, which just underscores it and makes it more horrific because it's such a a gentle lullaby-like almost love song yeah it really um, is that's being played to this violence after ricky and gloria have had sex they're at the front door and she's trying to convince him to call the police to not go back in the house at first he seems like he's almost going to agree with her Mm -hmm. but then she mentions alex and he's like oh i can't rat i can't rat alex out and that was his hard then, line. Like, and then Alex appears, right? Yeah, and then right Alex appears and grabs Gloria and pulls her back in the house. There's a scene where one of them tries to get to the phone and is unsuccessful. Like in this whole fiasco, them pulling one another inside. After they pull Ricky and Gloria back in the house, or after Alex pulls them back in the house, and they bring them to the living room, Alex shows Ricky Cindy and refers to her as virgin territory and offers to let him uh, rape her. And he declines. He tries to talk Alex out of doing any more harm to Cindy. He's saying, look, you've had your fun. Let's go. We don't want this to be like that girl from last year. And at that point, Alex gets upset and says, why would you bring that up? Ricky tries to stop further and he swipes at Ricky with his straight razor. And he cuts Ricky basically from chest to stomach with it. Right. It it seems like a very deep cut. Yeah, it's a very deep cut. uh, A big wound. And at that Mm -hmm. point, Alex breaks down, loses himself, and he is blaming everyone for Ricky being cut other than himself. Right. He is very, shows very narcissistic. Yeah. He was blaming, uh, you know, like the party goers. He was blaming any, anyone else he could blame was who was at fault for Ricky getting cut, even though it was him. And Mm, while he is distracted, taking care of Ricky, Tom goes and gets a gun out of a drawer. They call out to Alex and they shoot him. I think it, the first shot was in the leg. And then they shot him in like the shoulder, I believe. Yeah. And when they shot him in the shoulder, he broke through the plate glass door. Mm-hmm. Ends up outside. Everyone follows him outside. And then from there, he shoots him in the dick, which is very satisfying. Yeah, this whole this whole moment when they finally get the upper hand again. And yeah. Their their revenge is, is very satisfying. It's and absolutely it is a good, satisfying good high high point in the film because at this point this film is just a home invasion film really yeah indeed and then it's also very cool that all these victims are kind of like in a hive-minded sense of like we all need this revenge and like they all are agreeing upon it like um 
Well, Except for Cindy, yeah, I think Cindy yeah. was collateral. Uh, it was just just not her get not her day. They kind of like they kind of look like a horror villain at the end. I, I like I like that their their looks on their faces and like they yeah. they don't hold back at all at this moment. No, and like it, it's just building up. It's it ha- it has just been built building up for them. This yeah, like it's all, been all building up to this moment. So mm-hmm. they shoot him in the dick. <laughs> And then everything from that point for a little bit is in slow motion. Yeah. So his screaming is in slow motion and it's really drug out. And then he right. falls in the pool, which he had used earlier when he was beating up Howard. He actually threw Howard in the pool after he beat him up. He took a That's piss right. on yeah. him before bringing him back inside and tying him to the mm-hmm. table. They all take turns taking shots at him. They basically empty the entire gun into him. Tom pulls that necklace off of his neck from the victim that he had raped in the opening of the film and explains that it was his sisters that yeah. he had murdered his sister so this is where it becomes the rape revenge film right it's just indeed. a really it takes a really long time to get to the revenge but it's also a mm-hmm. twist you assume that maybe the opening is just kind of introducing kind of kind of sleazy shitty person that alex is mm-hmm. but it's really just the fuel for the revenge later in the film so they actually planned to pick them up bring them to the house make it look like a home invasion that they then had to kill them in self-defense so that they could get revenge on alex now what i don't understand about that is how the fuck they figured out who it was and the police didn't oh right like that's a big plot hole because i'm pretty sure that if he had been arrested or something then he would be aware of the family members from a trial or something like that right like yeah indeed you you think you think it it would but i don't know how he would have come across it being him unless maybe he ran into him and recognized the necklace as being from his sister at some point and then just kind of stalked him there's never really any kind of explanation as to how they figured it out regardless the revenge is very satisfactory and it is i think i think so too and they go in to kill ricky and gloria shows compassion for ricky and says no not him like she won't let them kill ricky so Mm. ricky lives and actually at one point maybe the early 2010s late 2000s there was buzz about a sequel to house on the edge of the park about ricky i think coming out of a mental institution all right and basically Mm. being haunted by the memories of this event with Alex, but I don't think it ever came into fruition. Okay. Um, but it's something I would have loved to have seen. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see. You know, because sure. it would have been uh, Giovanni again playing the same character. Like, if you just yeah. Google it, like, it'll pop up and you can kind of read about it a little bit. And again, this movie also ends on a freeze frame on his dead body floating in the water, which, you know, to be honest, fits better for this film because you really don't need that closure because you already have it with the explanation, the revenge. 
you know, oh, we're going to make it yeah, look like a home invasion. That's right. Yeah. So in your mind, you can really just kind of play it out and be like, okay, the cops come. They're obviously beat to fuck. They're all fucked up. They've been raped. And uh, there's a guy dead in the pool who did it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's kind of like open, open shut. You don't really, really need it. And I'd imagine because of how Ricky is, he wouldn't have said much of anything. I don't think. No. I think they would have arrested him and due to the unmade sequel was put in a mental institution. So obviously I think that kind of goes into his IQ level maybe a little bit. Uh-huh, yeah. With, that makes... with yeah. Um, you know, that he could be challenged in some kind of way. Like maybe de- developmentally he was at some point or something. And they felt that maybe a mental institution was better place for him to be even a prison could be yeah i mean he didn't technically rape anyone no uh, like he, he like he, he he hesitated like he he said he didn't want to right uh, i don't think ricky was a bad person i think ricky was just somebody he, he was just e- who easily was he was easily very timid and easily easily like, manipulated yeah easily things. manipulated is the best thing mm-hmm. and i think he's also one of those people that because of his challenges any friend he makes, he will cling to. Yeah, because he wants to be a part of that. He wants to be like to be needed to by ha- somebody. Indeed, like be validated. Right. So it, it was a very interesting relationship between the two because on one end you have this fucking sociopath mm-hmm. and who obviously for some reason has a really soft spot for Ricky and yeah. seems to care about him a lot. And then you have Ricky who does who just wants to please Alex, you know? Yeah, you're right. He wants to make him happy. He wants to to be there for him and do things with him because that's his friend and he cares about him. And he doesn't want anything bad to happen to him, even though he's an awful human being. They tried, I think, to to put some complex emotions like that in the film. Is there yeah. anything else you can... I, uh, no, I... I, I... I can't think of anything else. Uh, you summed it up quite perfectly. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm perfectly fine to go over to rating if uh, oh, yeah. you don't okay. have anything else. Rating? Uh, what is your rating? Uh, well, I uh, when I well when I first watched this, I initially gave it a four star. Mm-hmm. Um, but having revisited this, um, it's definitely getting up. Uh, it's getting definitely getting a bump up. Um, so I think. I think I'll set this as a five star as well because it is equally as good as uh, Last House on the Left. I think it's very satisfying uh, to see it uh, to see it through the end, and just because David has makes this film wonderful and the same way as Last House on the Left, it's very it. Like David Hess makes these films. Uh, He's like a sociopathic powerhouse. Indeed, because I yeah, th- this was kind of what I wanted to mention about Alex is uh, he is unpredictable. Uh, yeah, he's a bit more. Inst- he's definitely a lot more unstable than Krug. Yeah. Um, because with Krug you have just brutal power, and you can see right away that he is scary like he she he does not hide it but alex is completely different like he has so many different layers of himself where you don't really know what his motive is until it's way too late exactly and and that is definitely more terrifying he's better at manipulation yeah absolutely 
So, but yeah, this is a five star movie for me too. Mm-hmm. Always has been. Um, but now I, I would like to get into some quick comparisons of the Virgin Spring and um, the Last House on the Left. That's something um, that I really wanted to touch on uh, because there are some significant uh, similarities. There are, definitely. And I know I sent you my pages of notes. <laughs> Appreciated them. I sent. Did I, yeah, I sent you all like fifty-five. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah, fifty-five pages 50, of notes. Fifty-five pages of notes. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. Um, I got a little into it, and I color coded everything. Um, so some of the similarities of this this uh, ballad in this film. Mm-hmm. are um number one so one thing that i noticed that was actually throughout all of the films um was vanity yeah there was always a scene of vanity by in the virgin spring karen Vane um has to wear the best silk clothing get in the mirror look perfect and then in the last house on the left it was the same um yeah just but well, like uh, bra talk like brazier uh, yeah uh, also i have to mention that uh, uh karen was very rebellious for that age like it's wonder if it's it's a wonder that she was allowed to talk like that oh yeah uh, in that ti- time period yeah and then but uh the vanity yeah. from house on the edge of the park was actually on alex's part instead of the victim's part the other overlying arc is there's an item that always signifies the death of the victim. Yeah, you have the silk dress of Karen. The silk dress of Karen have... that goes from the poem to the movie and then into the last house on the left, it's the necklace. Yeah. And then a house on the edge of the park, there's also a necklace. Um, although, since Hess said they're not related, I'll, I'll exclude that one. So, okay, yeah. Um, so you have the personal item that indicates the death of said person. In the ballad, it was three daughters who went and all got murdered. In the Virgin yeah. Spring, it was the one daughter and her friend, adopted sister. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's um, right, a, fo- a foster So she sister. goes with her, but, you know, Ingiri, that was her name, right? Uh, Ingiri. That's a... Ingiri. So I was saying it in a very American way. Um, <laughs> so... She goes with her, but she actually doesn't go all the way with her. She no, um, she has she stops yeah, she, because she's actually she gets, afraid. That's right. Of she the gets woods. tired, and but she, then she does later follow behind her and observes the rape in the Virgin Spring, and actually picks up a rock at one point in attempt to defend right. her, but drops it out of fear of harm coming to her there is a line from last house on the left that stood out to me in comparison to house on the edge of the park the line he says to cindy that we discussed there's a line he says in last house on the left why don't you just lay back and enjoy being inferior and yeah and that's when she calls them chauvinistic dogs yeah and then correct some chauvinistic pigs another connection um, when Mary's parents, well, when the the mother is afraid because she hasn't returned yet, father kind of brushes it off. Oh, she's a teenager. You know, she thinks she's an adult now. Just let her 
have her night. She'll yeah. be back in the morning. And they, they do that in the Virgin Spring as well. It's, right. oh, Indeed. she's probably stopped and stayed the night in this town. She's done it before. It's a long ride. There's no reason to worry. You know? So that's another similarity is the dismissal of the mother mother's fears of their daughters they do play with them both in the films uh in the virgin spring they allow her to kind of crawl away cower to herself which is similar in effect to when in the last house on the left she walks into the lake right indeed she gets dressed walks into the lake and in the virgin spring gets up and she walks away, and she's obviously in a state of shock as well. And yeah. while they shoot Mary in the last house on left, they beat Karen with a club to death. So it's very similar. Like, they wait for them to walk away and kind of try to mm-hmm. process what happened to them, and then they kill them. And, and, and then you and then you have the similarity of, of them packing up the stuff, uh, like packing up Karen's things. Yep. Uh, to them washing themselves in the lake and like yeah. changing changing their clothes uh, yeah and then and then you have the similarity of of those free goat herders uh, arriving at the at the farm same as Krug and his gang arriving at uh, Mary's home right and then the the way the the rapes were shot in both films is somewhat similar it, in framing. Oh, indeed, yeah. Where they was, focused on the faces. Very notice, notable. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were actually both... David Hess's version is almost identical to the one in The Virgin Spring, at least in the facial close-ups. Um, oh. With the way the heads are laid on them and uh, the reaction of the women. The the women don't really scream or anything. They they just kind of grimace and maybe cry. And I, I know that's a, a rough similarity to mention, but, but it is one that stood out to me because the shots were mm. so incredibly similar. Yeah, no, it is, it is uncanny how similar they are. It is, that that's, I mean, that is definitely notable. Like, like I, I didn't I didn't prior to this I didn't know that it was based on the Virgin Spring, but now it is so much more evident and clear. Yeah. And then you also have the similarity of the mother opening the their bag, uh, which shows the the clothing, like the the clothing. Yeah, with uh, the same with uh, Ture uh, opening opening the bag of the goat herders and finding the silk dress. Yeah. Uh, and then. So them finding the clothes equates to finding the necklace on... Yeah, th- that, yeah that's what I meant, yeah. uh, meant to mm-hmm. say. So that's different things, but the same, right? Yeah, so, although, although her opening their bag is similar to the scene in Virgin Springs where y- he opens the bag And finds well. the bloody clothes, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I just forgot the trace of a moment in... Virgin Spring because they gift her they gift her a piece of it yeah that's right and she recognizes it and then later goes and looks in the bag or the father goes and looks in the bag and also the way the way this actress showcases the shock is truly incredible uh, it is because she she doesn't say a word but she deep down realizes what is going on and she just 
she has a very cold uh, gaze in her eyes yeah. where it's like well she goes to her husband chilling. and wakes him up and tells him that happens in the last house on the left as well that's another uh, linked similarity when he wakes up and confirms all of this he takes his sword initially and he goes con- he seems contemplative about what he's going to do like he gets his sword he's ready but they do make no. a plan to bolt them into the house so that they cannot leave and right. he takes another knife with him and so when it comes to the last house on the left i feel like the chainsaw is symbolically the knives or swords that are used in the virgin spring well yeah yeah kind of because earlier you have when the father goes down he he lifts up the like the the the, the the, the top of the trash can as a as a shield almost and yeah like the wrench so it yeah yeah that's a nice symbolism for sure yeah like i mean you know it replaces places what with another weapon absolutely really. yeah um they both do that different time periods obviously different weapons but yeah those those are some of the similarities that i really noticed were there any that you noticed not any others yeah i mean not any others besides the ones you mentioned yeah i I mean it's not like they took the whole movie but they definitely took oh no some key aspects i mean it is still its own thing like you can tell it's an inspiration but it's not yeah you can when you watch it you can 100 percent see the inspiration like there's no Absolutely. no doubt about it. Did they mention it in the commentary at all? I don't know. Uh, not at least not. I I listened to the one with uh, with David Hess, uh, uh, Mark, uh, and uh, Fred Lincoln. Uh, so they were mostly just joking around, talking about their way they they show they uh, mostly they uh, like what they did during filming but i don't i don't think they mentioned anything of the virgin springs oh yeah see the commentary on the the version i own has a commentary from wes craven and the producer yeah i have that one as well i just didn't didn't get a chance to listen to that one (laughs) didn't want to listen to like three or four different audio commentaries Well, I, I thought I thought I would want to. But yeah, I thought I would. Sim- I would sim- watch a lot more too, but yeah, I simply didn't have enough time, yeah, unfortunately, we, we, to watch the rest. Ni- neither did I. We both figured out mm. a little while in, like, hey, we really need to kind of split this up between us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because this is a lot of material. Good. There is Happy one thing that uh, I want to introduce something that me and Janko are going to be doing, and it's going to be called Critically Masochistic. <laughs> Love that name. <laughs> <laughs> and what it is, is I will select four movies, ranging from, like, good, bad, shitty, why the fuck was this even made? <laughs> uh, just any, any kind of thing you can think of in there and he will have to pick a number between one and four and he will have to watch whatever movie that is and um so this is going to be the first one and we will make an episode soon about his impressions of the film that he gets from me um (laughs) so if you would like to pick a number between one and four Uh, i think i'll open door number two Okay, it's called Ant Farm Dickhole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
the the the, the title sounds promising. <laughs> uh, it's a Billy Zabub film. Oh. <laughs> uh, so if you know anything about him, do you? No, not not at all. <laughs> oh well, you're diving right in. Um, oh, incredible! This and this wasn't even wonderful. the worst one on there. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm considered lucky enough. <laughs> you honestly are. Uh, uh, so, but, but this is fun, though. I yeah. Have no. So, I don't mind these types of films. So, so. Bill's above. Uh, tagline is he's got ants in his pants. Uh, there you go. There's Ant yeah. Farm to call. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I appreciate. The Hailed choice. as having quote the most what the fuck moments in movie history. <laughs> Good. Looking forward to it. So, yeah, I'll be uh, eagerly awaiting your opinions on Ant Farm Dickle. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. And uh, with that, you know, love having you listen to us, and we're trying to create more content Indeed. for y'all. If you could subscribe Absolutely. to us on Twitter, uh, Critically Optimistic. Uh, what is the actual at, Janko? It's... Oh, uh, at... Well, on the Twitter, it's at Crit- Critically Opti2. Yeah, there we go. And then the email. You can email us at Critically Optimistic podcast at gmail.com we would love to hear your thoughts any suggestions if you want to send some suggestions over for me to put on my list for cinematically masochistic to subject janko to i would really appreciate that yeah please do that (laughs) um also uh, we'd like to say that Mac guested on a podcast recently called Daydream Cast. It's a very good episode. You should go and check that yeah. out. Link will be it's talking about uh, on... cult classic games called Skull Monkeys. So yeah. if that is your thing, then go and have a listen to that as well. Yeah, we should have a link link to that in the description. And um, so this has been our Video Nasties episode that turned into more. So. <laughs> we still have uh, 37 movies to go through so we yeah. have plenty of content <laughs> yeah we'll we'll hit them all and um uh i don't know if all of them will be as long as this particular episode hopefully you enjoy the ones in the future and hopefully you've enjoyed this one and until next time i'm maggie